At age 11, he started his first blog. Now, a decade later, he's written over 30 books. And he also managed to create and host his show, Breakthrough Success, which now receives over 60,000 downloads per episode. I'm speaking about my guest today, Mark Guberti, which clearly, despite Mark's age, he already has a very impressive body of work. Keep listening to this episode if you want to learn why he almost quit when he first started podcasting, what simple approach he uses to be such a prolific writer, strategies he uses to create not just fans, but super fans, and what social media platform he believes is not only underrated, but underutilized. Mark gives us a glimpse into how he operates, and I got to tell you, I walked away from my interview with him and made immediate changes to my own approach. I hope you get as much out of this one as I do, so let's jump straight in to the conversation. Mark, thanks for being on For the Love of Podcast. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, first question is a doozy. How does a kid from New York become a Boston Red Sox fan? You got to tell me that story, man. Yeah, so pretty much I tried being a Mets fan because I didn't want to be a Yankees fan, but I kind of saw the writing on the wall a little early, so I decided to shift to being a Red Sox fan. I made this shift as a six-year-old, so that's like the respectable age where it's not like you front-ran and I've, I've, I've stayed with the team like this year has been tough, for instance, but that's pretty much how it all started with baseball fandom. I know your parents, the kind of split house. It's like my wife is a USC Trojans fan. I'm a UCLA Bruins fan and they're rivals. And much like obviously Yankees and the Red Sox are rivals, but then Mets and Yankees, right? Both from New yeah. York and your parents, you have a house divided there. So you, you, you maybe couldn't feel like you, you had to make a choice and you couldn't. So you just went with the rival, the, the, <laughs> the enemy the of the rival. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My son, funny enough, I'm a Dodger fan. My son became an Astros fan at age six. And so I'm like, what, what is going on? And he was on the Astros little league team. And so all of a sudden he's like, he wants to be an Astros fan. Luckily he sort of shifted. So now he's back on the Dodger team. And you know, what are you going to do? But I got to tell you, Mark, I'm so impressed with everything that you've done. I love your mission to positively impact a billion people's lives through your work. And time is on your side because even by the age of 18, you already had a dozen books under your belt, thousands of blog posts. And that was before you jumped into podcasting, into your own admission. You had a couple false starts, some one would consider failures, but it's not failing if you keep moving forward. It's only failing if you quit. And you didn't quit. And ironically, your breakthrough for success was Breakthrough Success, the podcast that you currently have right now. You've had guests like Seth Godin, Bob Berg, John Lee Dumas, Neil Patel, and many, many others. You've had so much success with your show and you've helped other people in the process. But why don't we hear a little bit of a play-by-play of why you decided to start a podcast and then why did you have those false starts and then how did you find success with your current show? So I knew that podcasting was a great opportunity because you get the networking, get the relationship building, you get to provide content for your audience at the same time. And with a lot of popularity around blogging and YouTube, especially back when I was getting into podcasting, podcasting was this big opportunity that not many people were fully exploring. So you had a lot of listeners 
not as many shows. And that still holds true to this day where there's around 1.4 million podcasts compared to over a billion websites. So there is a lot less competition. So the reason I had my full starts was at first, I didn't know how I was going to approach people to interview them. And that didn't really work. And I initially tried to do a Q&A show as well, but I didn't know the technology. I didn't know how you actually proceed to publish that episode. And when you don't know all the key pillars, you just kind of you either look it up or you just don't proceed and i chose the not proceed option so i knew this i had this past as i was thinking of this breakthrough success podcast and i wanted this one to be my entry into the space so what i decided to do was reach out to five people i knew who would be great guests for the show based on their expertise and i said hey I'd love for you to come on Breakthrough Success. It's a new podcast that I am launching. And sure enough, I got some yeses. If all five people said no, I was going to say, okay, that's a sign to not do the podcast. This is the wrong path for me. But as I got that first yes, there's this excitement because you're going to interview that person. And that excitement turns into panic because at that moment, I didn't know interview recordings. I didn't know how I was going to publish episodes. I knew absolutely nothing. When I came to the podcast front end and back end, I thought the hosts had it really easy. When I was the guest on everybody's show, I was like, oh, wow, this is actually a lot of work to get the intro, figure out how to hold the conversation. So I quickly realized that the host has the heavy lifting in that relationship, which I took for granted when I was just being a guest on the shows. So I do these interviews because I just quickly learned the process. That was my only choice. Like, imagine a good friend of yours wants to come on the show. Nah, I gave up on it. Not happening. So that was the starting point of Breakthrough Success. And I learned everything on the fly. And that helped me get to where I am now. One of the things I know you learned was the importance of having a listener avatar, something that I talked about in a meeting that I had earlier today. And I wonder if you could talk about why it's important to get really really specific with identifying not just who your audience, but who is a specific listener, singular? Who is that person? The reason it's important is because there are so many different podcasts out there. In the business space, there are a lot of podcasts that pretty much just say the same thing. How do I grow on social media? You've got so many different podcasts that cover that, but you could cover it in a specific way that caters to a specific listener who. Maybe the long term, you hope that person becomes a client or buys your book or some other product. So it's important to get really clear. Is this person single or married? What type of income does this person have? Is your income strategy to get it? Because if you know their income, it's like, or you have an idea, are you going for a few high tickets or are you having something like a Patreon and that's how you build up your revenue instead? So the more you know, the more content you could cater specifically to that person. And the more you can shift your business model to that specific person as well. So how specific should you go? Because I know, you know, I read your book and I know you got really, really granular. So you talked about income, gender, what else are some things? I mean, do you name the person, like give us a little bit of flavor of how specific you get. So the more specific you get, the better. And I like to have two different names, one male individual, one female individual. For some other people, LGBTQ, 
that crowd is going to be their main focus. So you should be thinking of that crowd when you are thinking of your podcast. So think about like age, profession. In my case, I know a lot of people in my audience, they are side hustlers and they want to get out of their job and do their digital stuff full time. So I factored that into the listener avatar because it's one thing to just guess and create this imaginary avatar, but it's also something else to create content initially, see who engages with it, get on a bunch of strategy calls with the people in your audience. Some of them become clients, some don't, but you get to learn a lot about them. So that's the real strategy calls. I know I have a lot of people who are side hustlers and what are their major goals? This is Mm. the most important thing because you can have this very vague goal of like, let's make money online. But there are so many people who talk about let's make money online. And some people say, I want to do it through writing. I want to do it through YouTube. I want to do it through podcasting. And you have to figure out which audience you are going to focus on. It's better to narrow your niche than it is to just have this broad topic where it's difficult to figure out the best way to serve your audience. Yeah, I fully agree, man. And and you brought up some really good points. One of the things that I'm so impressed about with you is just how prolific you are from your blog posts to your books. I mean, how many books do you have now? What what are you at? I can't even count. 30, 30. See, yeah, I'm like 20, 30, 30 books, dude. I mean, that's just insane. So you have to be efficient. You have to be smart with your time. One of the ways you're smart with your time with your interviews is you don't ask for a full backstory. Talk a little bit about that. I know you interviewed JLD and you only had a limited amount of time. So Why is it important that you don't ask too vague of questions and you get right to it? So with every interview, you want to clear on what the topic is and you want to stay that lane. If you drift away from that topic, that's when people are going to fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. And some guests, they have a limited time to be on your show. So with the JLD interview, he only had 15 minutes to be on the show. Now, naturally, I would like to have the worst case scenario, 30 minute time block because that is enough time to get a lot of content out, not feel too stressed about the incoming guests. I do usually 45-minute blocks, but for someone like JLD, I I would have rather had the 30-minute time block than the 15-minute time block. So for him, I had to just do some stuff before the recording, like the bio, the intro, the filling in certain gaps. So that's just one of the examples where you want to just fully embrace the important stuff. If I ask him during that time to go like, oh, how did you get into podcasting? He's going to provide a story that it might be entertaining, but it's not valuable. Like who really cares why JLD got into podcasting? Now, there might be a good story there. I don't remember his origin story, though I vaguely remember it. But that's why like with my origin story, I like to add value where I say, hey, I just decided to fully embrace it. I had no idea what I was doing. I just said small action step, reach out to five people. So if you do ask the background interview question, it just gets harder to go into the value. Like you want to lead with a hook right away, get listeners a reason to keep on listening without hitting the plus 15 seconds, plus 30 second button to speed up the process. And your point about it being on topic is so valuable because I think all too often you're you're trying to do so much and trying to pull in so many insights and so many things, keep it focused. And, and to be honest, you know, looking at 
you know, somebody like you who has so much information, you know, there's just so many things we can talk about. How do you, how do you narrow it in and how do you find the, the key points? One of the things that obviously you've had some success with is finding guests and bringing guests on your show. What's your approach to inviting guests and getting big names like the ones that you've had on your show? The first step of this process is to just ask. And you'll be really surprised with how many people you get when you ask. Like a lot of those names, I did. Uh, I interviewed those people towards the early stages of the show. Now, I did have a platform beforehand, so I do want to be fully clear on that part. But the podcast was still relatively new, and I just asked, and people came on. And once you get a few big people on the show, it's easier to attract a bigger crowd. So... It's one of those things that definitely compounds over time. So just ask if the person says, yes, you know, you got them. Like they're going to come on the show, provide value. If someone says, no, don't give up, engage with their social media posts, send them personal emails that aren't just, I'd love to have you on the show. Like, oh, I was reading this blog post you did and it was really helpful and I applied it. And I actually talked about it in this YouTube video I did. In case you're interested, here's the link to the YouTube video. Like engage with them on that level because I'm sure that even these really successful influencers, they're not getting too many emails like that where it's like someone actually took action on their content. If you do stuff like that to stand out, you're going to get standout guests. Mm, I love it, man. Get specific, get granular, and just ask. I think that's all... Part of the problem is people are just afraid to ask. They don't ask. They don't take action. And if you take action, couple that with specific, very, very granular, specific, what you took away from their work, magic happens. Speaking of magic happens, a lot of times hosts, they're afraid to share their own viewpoint. They expect the guest is going to bring in the viewpoints, but they don't add enough value themselves, which you can add in solo episodes and there's ways to do that. But I know that's something that you've highlighted as a miss. Can you talk a little bit about why you think it's valuable for a podcaster to not forget that important component of what they're bringing to the table in terms of their own value? The reason as a podcast, you also want to provide value is because if you're just asking question, receiving answer, asking question, receiving answer, it's like, okay, like it's a good interview, but it really shines the guest only where you only get to see the talent of the guest. But if you want to become this recognizable figure, you have to insert your own value in. If a listener is listening to the guest shining without the host shining, then why are they going to become a client? Why are they going to buy products? Like This is just a way to show how great the guest is. But if you don't insert yourself into that conversation where you chime in on certain points, you talk about personal experiences. Now, no one wants, like a guest doesn't want to sit through and hear you talk for like three straight minutes, but it's stuff that you insert. You have like 30 seconds to a minute uh, in between questions where you could provide some value and then segue into the next question. And you could also do solo episodes. This is something I recently started to do. Every week on Breakthrough Success, there's a solo Saturday episode where it's just me and I provide value. And a lot of my listeners have been loving that. So when you do insert yourself into your own show, it does turn you into this bigger authority figure, not just like overall, like when people see yourself in social proof, but also to the listener 
who may consider going deeper in that business relationship with you. And I just listened to your episode where you talked about your schedule, which we're going to dig in because I think the bulk of this episode is going to be on efficiency and really attracting people through content because you have some really amazing things there. Before we get into that, this is something that I found really interesting, which is you don't say thank you at the end of the show. Why don't you do that? I sometimes say thank you for being on the show, but I do want to highlight the guests, highlight what they offer, and then think about where do I want to direct listeners next? Like I do appreciate them all for coming on the show and I will find time during the show to thank people for listening, but that ending spot, you do want to leave them hungry for more. And when you say thank you, that is when people realize that your content is ending. So when I do say thank you, it's like, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Like that's it. If you expand on the conversation, there's a two-minute conversation after the thank you. People know it's the end. They're going to go to your next episode or they're going to listen to someone else's episode. But if you say thank you a little too early, people know it's the end. It signifies they can tune out, right? I love that, man. What an ingenious thing. And I I certainly wasn't thinking that you're not being polite. I know that's not your intention. Your intention is to keep them listening and don't give them that cue that the show is over. So, okay, let's talk about show notes because admittedly, this is an area where I completely drop the ball with my other show. And it's an area of opportunity, as they say in corporate speak, that means that you suck at something. So what did you learn from Side Hustle? You learned something about telling a story and talk a little bit about what you include in your show notes. And along with that, I want to dig in a little bit more granularly to think about how you can have blog posts and just the whole overall tapestry of how you bring, because you have a blog, And so how do you bring people in through the show notes and layer in blog posts? Give us your play-by-play on how you use the show notes. So I'm going to show one of my books first because not only do I do books, but I also do workbooks. So I saw a big issue with show notes because that takes the most time. It's post-production. It's, I got to listen to the episode again, get those important links, all this annoying stuff that you love the interview, but the post-production gets annoying. (laughs) That's right. That's right. What I decided to do is I first had like pieces of paper, but then you get disorganized. So now I'm going to just show you the page just so you have what it looks like. This is what I use for all of my show notes. And I'll do this during the episode. So I'll be listening to the guests, like much like we're doing right now. When a guest brings up an important point, I'll just write it down. And the way I have it set up, like I would still look down in like a dual video version where they could see me also because I need to write it down to save a ton of time. But the way I do it, like I don't always publish the video. When I am publishing the video, it's through Zoom. So people see the guests while I'm looking down. So what it has here is like the guest name, what the topic was, because that's going to be my title, links. So anytime a link gets mentioned, I write it down so I don't have to go into the middle of the episode. Oh, what was this link? And now I have to find it at 1316 and hope I find it there. And then the link part is like the one area where you really have to make sure you get all that. And you could do a lot of digging if a guest feels like dropping a few of their blog posts mid-episode rather than just stuffing all the links at the end when you say, oh, well, where can we find you? So in addition to the links, I'll also put down like certain insights, certain brainstorming ideas. So if the guest says something really insightful, 
I'll write down what the guest just said. And that could be an Instagram quote. That could be part of the show note description where it's like, oh, here's like a gem or here's like a, uh, some wisdom that the guests provide in this episode, kind of like a teaser. And that's pretty much what I focus on for the show notes in this. And there's even a part where I say, okay, well, when are we going to publish the episode? Like there is a publication date tab there also, because with so many episodes, it does get a little tangled up for your release schedule. So I think you should do the show note process, whether it's through this resource or just a piece of paper, do the show note process, do the post-production during the interview, because that has saved me so much time, especially with me doing four Breakthrough Success episodes a week and weekly shows for my other two podcasts. So what about, I know that you leverage a virtual assistant to help with some of those pieces, but you, you emphasized one thing that I really loved, which was the importance and value of telling a story as part of your show notes. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then also along with that, how does Pinterest play into this? Because you said Pinterest is like the most underused social media platform. I'm curious if you still feel that way and, and how do you use it and fuse it with show notes and just your overall business? So for telling a story, it's just, I don't write detailed show notes. And some people do the whole transcription. I don't like doing the whole transcription because I want people to listen to the episode. I will take the Instagram quotes, Pinterest quotes, something I do have to work on the Pinterest side. But the quote piece is what I'm going for. In the show notes, I like to provide just a little bit of a teaser, talk about the guests, talk about some main highlights and give them reasons to check out that episode. Now, I do believe Pinterest is still one of the most underrated social networks. It is a social network that I have to jump on a lot more than I have recently because I think a lot of people, they make the mistake of viewing Pinterest as a social network exclusively. That thing's a whole e-commerce hub. People spend money on Pinterest more than any other social network. And it is a place for people to browse through pictures, browse through products. And if you view Pinterest for the social media sense where you could like gain a lot of traction very quickly, but then you also throw in the e-commerce element where you're promoting products, you're promoting resources mentioned in podcast episodes to get more sponsors, it does increase the total reach you can get from your show. Love that, man. And what a creative way to reach a broader audience. Speaking about reaching a broader audience, somebody says something on an episode and you have a blog post that relates to it. One of the things that really stuck out in my mind in terms of your teaching is how you link to another blog post and create this almost like loop of content. And even if you don't have something written, you could actually write something. Talk a little bit about that. So that's where the writing the show notes comes in handy because some guests could be elaborating. Let's say it's about a book launch. And I say, oh, I did this video recently on just some of the mistakes that you make with a book launch. I'll link that in the description for anyone to check it out. You can do this with a blog post or another podcast episode. But the problem is you may not have that resource yet. And you may have that resource and not have to do extra work, but can you remember all the content you produce? I've done over 500 episodes. I'm not going to act like I remember every single episode I've done just because if each episode is a separate thought, you got to remember all of them. So 
The way I approach it is if I say, check out the video I did about the book launch mistakes, then I know the episode isn't going to get published tomorrow. In my case, it takes months for an episode to get published. So within that time, I could create the resource if I don't have it already. And since I write it in the show notes, like I wrote it during the episode rather than digging for any episode during editing, I know I have to do that. And I will not forget to create that resource if I don't have it already and then put it in the show notes. And then I can use that resource to link elsewhere So maybe in this like three mistake, like book launch mistakes, one of them is keywords. Like you're not picking the right keywords for your book. And then I include a link in there or another follow-up video. Like this is how you pick the right keyword. And it does allow you to keep people in that infinite loop where they get great experiences for you and they keep coming back for more. Yes, love it. And, And you're making it easy for people to stay on your content, to stay on your site, I really appreciate the fact that you are thoughtful about the fact that you're taking notes during the show, which will help create this. You're setting yourself up really so that you know what you need to write content for. I want to talk a little bit about marketing and repurposing content. You have 450,000 Twitter followers. You're active on a bunch of social media platforms. So clearly there are opportunities to promote your podcast on all of these platforms. What's your process to do that? And how much of it do you do versus how much do you have assistance that help with your promotion on social media? So for each new podcast episode we publish, we put that into a queue on social media. I'd rather like on Twitter, I'd rather have a cycle of tweets go through than manually having to tweet each one. The more automated I can make it, the better. And I only go on Twitter to engage with people who engage with me. On Instagram, we'll be doing a story. Sometimes we do an individual post. We don't always do that for the episodes. And it definitely varies for each platform. We are adding some new ways such as Pinterest and the Breakthrough Success Facebook group. But some of that is me. Some of that is my assistant. Most of the work has been me lately, but I do plan on bringing in my virtual assistant for some of those other tasks. But it's important to focus on one platform at a time. Don't get overwhelmed with the process. Mm. Just pick, I don't honestly say pick two to three actually, because if one of the platforms suddenly has a rule change or an algorithm change that wipes you out, it is good to have a few different backup platforms. While it's unlikely there's a whole wipeout effect. You can get a 10% drop, a 20% drop. It all depends on how these social networks want to play with their algorithms. So make sure you do have two to three that you do start with. And Facebook group is an area where I, I feel like I failed on my previous show. Curious what your thoughts are on building a community within Facebook because it is a place where there's interaction. And, and one of the insights that I took away in reading your book was it's great if they know you. It's as good, if not better, if your fans know each other and creating a Facebook group or any group will help to facilitate and foster that kind of community. Can you talk a little bit about just why it's so important for that? So the Facebook group is important because you mentioned that the listeners get to know each other. And when listeners get to know each other, they have conversation, but then they're always brought back to your show because that's how they met. That's how they got uh, connected. And if your show has that much of a presence in their minds, that 
will result in more loyal listeners. It's one thing to have like 100 listeners come today and then they don't come back tomorrow. But if you have listeners showing up for every single one of your episodes, it does give you a lot more momentum because getting 100 listeners per episode helps with the algorithms. It helps with word of mouth. And the word of mouth is allowed to have a place to spread within the group. And then it expands outside of the group as well. Yeah, no, that's solid advice. I'm curious, we talked about maybe having a virtual assistant, but there are platforms, repurpose.io, there's later, there's any number of options out there to do scheduling of social media. Do you have a favorite or one that you use most frequently? I like to use later for my social media scheduling. Repurpose is also really great. The reason I don't use it anymore is because I treat the YouTube channel as its own separate entity. I don't want to upload podcast episodes there. But if you are looking to take your podcast episodes very easily and effortlessly turn them into YouTube videos, repurpose.io is a really great option. Yeah, that's a great tip. Okay, let's talk about email lists. Because when you think about marketing and promotion, great, you're going to push a lot of stuff out. But what are you hoping to get? And I'm curious, what advice do you have for somebody to help build an email list? So there's a lot of Google, SEO, paid advertising. It's usually a battle between paid versus organic. And if you get organic right, you've got free traffic coming your way. It usually is an investment to get that organic traffic in the first place, whether it is an SEO tool or a ton of time or you hire content writers. But that's another point. The paid traffic takes time to get it to work. But once you dial it in where you're making $2 every dollar you spend, it works really nicely. But the thing that's worked best for me is relationships. So partnering up with people, cross-promoting, I promote something on my email list, the other person promotes something on their email list, and we both grow our lists. This is why I like to do a lot of virtual summits because a lot of the speakers, I give them affiliate links and they share it with their audiences. They get commissions for everything they sell and it helps me to grow the email list as well. So For me, relationships are vital. And if you are in podcasting, you are entering a lot of relationships with a lot of people anyway. Man, the networking alone from podcasting, you can't put a price tag on that, how valuable it is. I do want to go back to the paid part because I think that's probably a black box for some people. How does that work exactly? Like when you say you get $2 for a dollar you put in, what do you mean exactly? And how does someone set that up? You talked about Google. Is that the best source? Have you tried Facebook? and also generating more subscribers, adding people to your email list through that platform. What's the process there? The way it pretty much works is you have an opt-in where you collect email addresses. And this is the way that you enter the possibility of making money. If you lead people straight to a sales page, why are they going to buy from you? They just saw you on Facebook. People aren't on Facebook to buy things. They are on there to escape. They are on there to relax. And A free opt-in is something that it's a low commitment. And a lot of people on Facebook in that moment, they're low commitment. They're not thinking about buying something. Mm -hmm. So you get their email address through the free opt-in. It allows you to communicate through email. And through that email communication, that's how you make the sale that you want to make. And it does cost money to get that person on your email list because of how many times the ad shows up. So that's where we get to the point where you hope you can make a do- you make $2 every dollar you spend or 
even expand that a little bit, but that's just how the concept of it works. And then it comes down to dialed in targeting to get those results. While we're on the topic of dollars, let's talk about money. Because I think a lot of people get into podcasting and they're in dreamland. They think they're going to get a sponsor right away or advertiser right away. And while you and I both know that's, I mean, it can happen. It's not, it's, they're not going to get rich instantly, but they can get sponsors at some point. One of the ideas you have, I really love this idea is a sponsorship slide deck. Can you talk about what's included in a sponsorship slide deck and why you've used that as an approach to showcasing why your show may be a great option for a sponsor to invest in. So a sponsorship slide deck is designed to provide all of the key points of your show in a way that's easy to consume. So what you want to include is how many downloads you're getting per episode, what type of listeners you have, some of the big guests who have come on your show, because again, authority by association, people really want to see that this concept is proven there's a lot of traction going on. So you include those key stats, but what you also want to include is your outside of your podcast audience. So when people see that I have Twitter followers, I have the Pinterest followers, the YouTube subscribers, it's never just podcast placements. It's also emails to my audience. It's tweets, Instagram posts, LinkedIn posts, Pinterest posts. So when you include all of your platforms then that increases the value of what you have to offer. And you should incentivize long-term relationships. So maybe you do something like 100, uh, this depends on your audience size, but maybe you do something like $150 for a single episode placement, but then you do $400 for four episodes and $1,000 for 12 episodes. So you see how like the cost per episode goes down as you enter a longer contract, but then it invites that long-term relationship to build and you do get more upfront money versus the $150 per episode where you can't really see significant results that soon. Yeah. And who doesn't like to get a good deal, right? (laughs) You buy a little bit more, you get more value. Okay. Let's set that aside for a moment. Let's face it. That's one way, but there are other ways such as your own products, your own services, You've talked a lot about having a landing page. I want to talk about optimized press because you've said that's a really important plugin, probably the most important WordPress plugin. So let's geek out on that, man. Let's talk about, for those that don't know what optimized press is, what is it and why is it so valuable? Optimized press is my bread and butter. It allows me to create all the sales pages. Any of my virtual summits I do, they are all through Optimized Press because they allow me to get email subscribers. They allow me to seamlessly go from someone subscribing to the initial offer where for summits, it's the $47 all access pass, then price rises up later. For other offers, it's a $7 thing because that's, again, very low commitment at the beginning. But optimized press really does fuel my business. And if you do have a WordPress site, I strongly recommend you do embrace that plugin. It has so many different capabilities that really allow my business to run the way it does. What about promoting your books? 30 books. I want to repeat that. 30 books. You talk about your books on your podcast. Do you use optimized press or another lead page for when you're pre-launch on a book? Like how do you promote the book in advance to get, you know, get subscribers, get emails and all those sorts of things? I just bring people to the Amazon page. So if the book's on pre-order, I get sales that way. 
the book itself is the way I get the email subscribers. So on the first page, there's this, oh, if you want this free resource, enter your name and email address. And it's a free resource related to the book. So my content marketing secrets book, you get a free ticket to the Content Marketing Success Summit, which is my evergreen virtual event. So that is the way that I grow my email is through the books because if I bring in the initial momentum to the books combined with running ads for the books on Amazon, which definitely have more profitability potential than Facebook just for marketing books on Amazon because people are already on Amazon, they already have their wallets out versus on Facebook, you do have that low commitment from a buying standpoint, since that's not why people go on Facebook. But that combined allows me to see a surge in new readers to the point where I don't have to promote my books heavily. And I will still get new readers who do end up joining my email list who do end up scheduling a strategy call. I've gotten some clients who they say, I enjoyed your book. I read to the end. I saw you have the strategy call here. I booked it and then they become a client. So I like to just push people to Amazon for the books and then get all these new readers, let Amazon do marketing for me. And then that leads to some new email subscribers and clients as well. Let's talk about that strategy call, man. I know it's, is it a free 20 minute strategy call? Yeah. The book and the podcast point people to this. How do you talk about it on the podcast? And then what is the, the process when you actually have the call? So the way I'll talk about it is I'll base it on what the content was about. So for instance, I did a video recently. I would do the same thing on my podcast if this was a solo Saturday. I talked about three different ways to make $1,000 a month on Instagram. And one of the things I mentioned is, well, you got to post on Instagram to hit that goal. I recommend daily. I do this for myself. I do this for my clients. If you feel like you're having difficulty with maintaining daily content on Instagram, let's talk about me helping you with that process. I will be including a link to schedule a free strategy call for me in the description. So the way I do that, I present the offer. I present why someone would want to do it. Like you, you see the potential of Instagram, but you don't have the time to post the content. Then we jump on that strategy call and on that before someone schedules, they have to tell me why they are there. So someone will say, oh, Instagram, I saw your video, I want help with the Instagram management, or I saw your podcast, I want Instagram coaching, or podcast coaching, because I have different offers that I will present in different episodes based on what they're about. So then we jump on the call, I get to hear a little bit about what they're working on, what are their goals, and then I see if there is a good fit. And if there's a good fit, that's where someone becomes a client, if there's not a good fit, it's just some value. And then we go our separate ways. And then I continue to show up from time to time because someone who's not a good fit now may become a very great fit later. So you do want to keep tabs with people, but that's pretty much how the process works. Okay. So what are some of the things that when you have a strategy call, you mentioned Instagram, I know podcasting is one. What are some other areas where you can help people that even listening to this call where maybe somebody that could use your help? What are some other areas that you help? I also help people who want to make money on YouTube because YouTube is a great platform. So if you want to grow your platform through YouTube, through virtual summits, and just growing your digital marketing strategy in general, the issue of just saying digital marketing strategies, that's very vague. So that's why I include some of those very specific examples we touched on, like the Instagram, YouTube, podcasting, virtual summits, and also content marketing. 
Love it, man. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, we talked a lot about monetization. One other thing is you having an affiliate program yourself where people can basically present you with potential clients that could buy your services or products, and then you pay them a cut. Which program or software do you use to facilitate that? For me, it's Thrivecart. Thrivecart is really great. Now it does, it's not free. <laughs> it's it's definitely not free. It comes to like a few hundred, I don't remember the price, but I'd say it's close to $600 based on all the features you would want to have with it. I used Samcart before Thrivecart. Samcart is $197 a month to get the affiliate capability. So if you just do some math there, in three months of Samcart, you just paid off all of what could have been Thrivecart, which is just a one-time expense rather than a monthly expense. So I do like Thrivecart because of the capabilities, but also the financial standpoint. I know a lot of people like ClickFunnels as well. I used to use ClickFunnels. ClickFunnels Though they provide a lot more than just affiliate setup, which you have to pay $300 a month because you get funnels and all that stuff, which Optimized Press pretty much handles all of that at a much cheaper price. But that's why I'd like to go for Thrivecart. It's been very reliable for me. I've used it for almost all the virtual summits and other launches that I've done. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And I'm glad that you did the legwork for us so we can skip past that. So your show has improved because of feedback. And I really, really appreciate the fact that you have a feedback loop that you've created. One of the greatest ways that you've gotten feedback and how you create super fans is actually getting on a phone call with somebody. Talk a little bit about why that's been so important. Maybe you could tell the Damon John story about how you talked to him. So the reason getting on the phone with your people is so helpful, and this is just through strategy sessions, is because you get to learn more about them. And sometimes you don't go into it with the idea of selling a product that's just a perfect fit and someone ends up being a client. But to have those calls with people, to also one thing that I've been doing recently, doing audio recordings and sending those to people to just show that I care. I didn't write a generic message. I just went that deeper level. It's something above and beyond. So on your point with Damon John, I've been a brand ambassador for two of his books. And he decided to swing a call to all of his different brand ambassadors. So I was on the phone with him for about a minute. And anyway, like, you know, Damon's a busy guy. He's on Shark Tank. He's done a lot of deals with some people who've appeared on the show and he has his own business. So that guy's busy. But like the fact that he took a minute to talk to me, I mean, like that rekindled me. That really allowed me to prioritize his book over some of the other stuff because here you have this super successful, busy person with a lot on his plate, but he did take the time to talk with me for about a minute. And then he probably talked with some other brand ambassador. But if you do engage with people, they remember you and Email and Facebook message is great. It builds a conversation, but having that phone call like what we're doing right now, even though it's a podcast interview rather than a phone call, it really amplifies the growth of any relationship. Well, you were already a super fan and you became that much more of a super fan. How else? So for the listener right now, how else can they create super fans? I think that's a great technique what else can they be doing? What else are what else is really important to help people create more super fans? I think the way that you view building super fans is that you become super fans of your fans and then your fans end up turning into super fans. So engage with their social media content, but liking isn't enough. 
leave a comment on their content because you get like 100 likes on Instagram, you're lucky if you get 10 comments. And it's easier to stand out when 10 people are doing something versus when 100 people are doing something. So if you really engage with their content and keep showing up for them, they will keep showing up for you. I love that shift in perspective. We are always thinking about what we're going to get, what we're going to get. Shift it to think about what you're going to give. Speaking of giving, I want to give the audience some of your tools, resources, things that you use to help with automation. I know you mentioned Spark app. I don't know how much you still use that for your mailing or Pretty Links plugin. Like, What sort of platforms and tools are you using on a regular basis that help you run your business? Spark is really great for emailing the guests because that allows you to schedule the emails in advance. So you don't have to wake up every day emailing the guests as soon as the episode comes out. You schedule those in Spark and then you know that the guest is getting notified about the episode. So that has been a really big game changer for me. And Pretty Links, it's more for in a podcast if I have this gigantic link like... Uh, any affiliate link, like an Amazon affiliate link, because the affiliate link has a lot more detailed stuff in it. So rather than saying thrivecart.com slash and then the rest of my affiliate link, I'll say head over to marketgaberty.com slash thrivecart and I'll have that link in the description. So by doing it that way, it makes it easier for me to say the link during the episode and it makes it easier for someone to remember the link. I love it. What else, man? I don't want to leave any juice in the orange. What other, just think of the tools that you're using on a regular basis that you really champion that you feel would help other podcasters. The other big one for me is Acuity because it allows you to schedule the guests rather than back and forth emailing. But Acuity is also great because you can ask your guests questions going in. So I ask everyone, do you need help with launching or monetizing a podcast or YouTube channel? If they say yes, that is a direction where the conversation can go. So Acuity, based on that questioning and that whole form, it has helped me to get more clients, more JV partners, more speaking gigs. And you can't, you don't want to make it like a lengthy form because then people will get exhausted. They don't want to fill it out. But if you have a few questions in there that can help you with some lead gen, Include those questions because you never know where your next client's going to come from. Mm, that's ingenious. I love that. Tune in. You've highlighted tune in as a very important and powerful piece to, to remember. Why do you feel that way? Tune in, it's what gets you on Alexa. That's just the main reason I have it there because Alexa is just going to become a more vital part of society. You're going to see it in cars soon. And you can say, Alexa, play the podcast Breakthrough Success, and it will come up with the latest episode. That's just going to be a more valuable feature as time continues to go. And it's like podcasting now versus blogs and YouTube, but on an even smaller level. So 1.4 million podcasts exist right now. I don't know the exact number. I'd be willing to say though less than 50,000 of them are on Alexa right now, less than 100,000 because it's not a place people are thinking of right now with podcasts and they just think of their phone, the podcast app. But TuneIn is that gateway into getting your show on Alexa, which is going to be very valuable in the years to come. 
Yeah, and I'm glad I have my headphones on. Otherwise, Alexa would be competing with us by playing. Yeah, that, I always get nervous <laughs> when I talk about this. <laughs> so, okay, so let's just let's just wrap up here with time management, brother. How do you do it? Thirty book. How long does it take you to write a book? I mean, uh, I'm just curious. Like, how do you manage your schedule, your time, and how are you able to do not one but two podcasts, write all these books, blog posts, do interviews? How do you do it all? And do you feel overwhelmed, or do you got a great handle on it? I think the way people look at it is they look at all the stuff that I'm doing, or they look at all the stuff they have to do if they're thinking of it on their end, but. Rather than viewing it as 30 books, I think of it as just writing a thousand words a day, finishing a book in 15,000 words. So during a really hot stretch, I could write two books in one month. Or even if I upped it to like 20,000 or 25,000 words, we're still talking at least one book every single month. And it sounds like a lot when you think of it as 1,000 words a day. It's not as much, especially if you repurpose. With the podcast, it can be a lot to think like, oh, like six episodes, yeah, six episodes a week, uh, one solo and then five interviews. But in reality, I just pick one day to do all the ones that I have to do. And then I pick one day to cover some extra ground because what if it gets that to show? What if I get sick or something like that? Uh, you want to be able to account for that. So that's why I'm always several months ahead. But the moment you go from, oh, this is so much work to let me actually think how I could do all of this. So like 1,000 words, that takes 30 to 40 minutes. And the interviews, that's just one, like two, three hour gaps sometime in the week. And now we have two of the big things covered. We have all the books covered. We have all the podcasts covered in this and it allows me to expand in other areas. So YouTube, three videos each week. It's just picking one to two days to record all of your videos and maybe throwing in a third day to bulk up on extra content. So when you think of it that way and break it down, it allows you to expand. And if you combine that with a virtual assistant, you go really far. So what I'm hearing you say is you you batch it, right? So if you're going to do an interviews, you do you kind of batch your interviews together. You're going to shoot videos, you batch your videos together. If you're going to write, you batch together. Am I understanding correctly? The writing is a daily process or sometimes I'll take one day off each week because the writing, I just open my computer, I start. For a video or a podcast, I have to dress like this. I have to talk to the camera. And if you stop doing the podcast and you take off your headphones, you dress more casually. It takes some extra time to get back to the stage where you could create content again that way. But it doesn't matter how I'm dressed. I could wake up, crawl out of bed and open the computer and bam, I'm writing. So that's why I do that each day. But I know I don't have that same luxury with the video, with the podcasting. And some days you're just feeling it more than others. So you have to capitalize for like the podcasting and YouTube when you feel it. Although podcasting is kind of like a, you're forced to feel it. Because, <laughs> you know, that's when you, your interviews at this time, you got to feel good. But that is the idea. Some things I do every single day, other things I batch. It's just based on what are the steps I have to take to actually start doing the work I'm supposed to do. If there are more steps to get to that starting line, when I am at that starting line, I'm getting as much done as possible. 
you're an inspiration. And I'll just tell you that on your website, you talk about not listening to critics. And I know when you were younger and probably even today, you, you're going to always have critics. You started a blog at 11 years old and you've written 30 books. You've had multiple podcasts. You have a successful YouTube channel, successful business. You've done so much and there's so much more left in your story. For those that want to find you, they can go to markgaberti.com. That's M-A-R-C-C-G-U-B-E-R-T-I.com. He's also got a loyal following on Twitter, 450,000 strong. Hopefully you can follow him there. Go to his YouTube channel. Also, Mark Gaberti, there, you can find him there. His book that I just highlight a lot of the, the takeaways from, which I strongly suggest going to check out, is Podcast Domination. His podcast is Breakthrough Success. Wow, what a story. What did I miss? And what else would be valuable for the audience to know? And also, I'm going to put a page on For the Love of Podcast forward slash Mark Gaberti, which will have a lot of these links in it. And and perhaps if I join the the affiliate program, it'll have some of those links as well. What else though would be valuable for the audience to know in terms of how they can find you? You covered so much ground. The only thing I'll say in addition, if you guys want to chat, let's do a strategy call, markberry.com slash strategy, 20 minute call. I'd love to hear from you guys. Yes, do it, man. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks for being on For the Love of Podcast. Appreciate your time and your wisdom. Keep crushing it out there. Keep doing everything you're doing and inspiring. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode with Mark Uberti. I hope that you grabbed some valuable insights. I know I sure did. Thanks, Mark, for being such an outstanding guest and for sharing so many lessons that we could implement into our own podcast strategy. This week's shout out goes to Alex Sanfilippo, who's the host of Creating a Brand podcast and founder of Podmatch, which is a platform that uses AI technology to painlessly match ideal podcast guests with podcast hosts. I want to thank Alex for his review of this show in which he said, not only is this podcast full of incredible content, but Billy is a rock star guest. Solid content. So excited I found this podcast so early. Alex, I really appreciate your kind words. And I got to say, man, I'm so impressed with the work you're doing. And congrats on landing Seth Godin for your most recent episode. If you haven't checked out Alex's show, again, it's Creating a Brand. Go check it out. I highly, highly recommend it. If you have any ideas or suggestions for this show, drop me a line at billy at fortheloveofpodcast.com. I'm so excited for next week's interview because it's with Linda Hollander. She's a master in the world of sponsorships and will give us her blueprint for finding, landing, and keeping lucrative sponsorship deals. This is an episode you won't want to miss, especially if you ever want to monetize your show by entering the world of sponsorships. All right, that's all I got. Until next time, remember, everything we do, we do it for the love of podcasts.